You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. We're currently in a series called The Church, who God has called and created us to be. For more sermons and content, go to SojournMontrose.com. Father God, we thank you for uh, this morning, Lord, for the opportunity to gather together. Lord, I pray that um, for those of us in the room, Lord, who have called upon the name of Jesus for salvation, Lord, that we would not lose the significance of this moment, that what happens here, Lord, although it, it feels routine um, in that we do it regularly, Lord, that uh, as we read the scripture this morning, that we would really and truly begin to see that what we practice here is what will be true uh, of the totality of our existence when your kingdom comes. And so, Lord, we rehearse now as we sing praises to your name and as we um, drink of the cup and eat of the bread of the new covenant. And Lord, we uh, just look forward with great anticipation to what it is that you have drawn us into. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, cool. So uh, we are actually at the end of another little journey that our, that our church has been on now for about 10 weeks, um, in which we've been going through a sermon series that we've entitled Church, um, a very creative title for a sermon series in which we've endeavored to really try and discern from the scriptures, um, one, who is the church, and then two, sort of what, what is it that she does? Like what, what, what purpose does she serve sort of in this grand narrative that we find ourselves in currently. And so um, what we've done is, is really just for, for summary's sake, we've gone through this, uh, really the, the entire narrative of the Bible is kind of what, kind of what we've done. We've, we've sort of briefly surveyed the Old Testament, which are all the books written before Jesus. And then we've sort of briefly surveyed the New Testament, which are all the books that are written after Jesus was born. And what we see is that, that although the Bible is often sort of viewed as a collection of stories that have sort of been mashed together into some grand mythology, that actually what we see when we read the Bible, in the context of Jesus, that it's, a, that it's a singular story, and that the God who is behind it is orchestrating something that is above and outside of really our ability to, to comprehend those things apart from His Word. And so what we've done, just real briefly, because this is going to help us um, frame the content of this morning, but what we saw in Genesis, which is the first book in the Bible, is that, is that God created for Himself a people. Right? And, and, and so he created this people and he created them not without purpose. In fact, he created them in order, number one, that he would, that we, that he would actually have a people to himself. And then two, in order that that people um, would reveal his name or his wonders or his glory. And so we were created to live in sort of this um, rhythm or harmony, really fellowship with God. Um, and that that's, what we were, that that's what we were created for. Now, if you go on to read the story of the Bible, you find out that really only, only a chapter or two later, um, we, we essentially say, you know what, you know what God, we don't want that. Where, where we were created to live underneath the gracious, peaceful reign and rule of God, we instead said, no, I would prefer to be the ruler of my own destiny. I would rather it be my own kingdom. I would, I would rather it be sort of an individualistic pursuit of my happiness. And so I'm going to exchange this rhythm and this harmony and this perfection for what I believe is best for me right now. And in that moment, Adam and Eve disobey God. And from that moment, what we see is the, really the fracturing of, of all of that harmony, of all of that rhythm that we were created to walk in. 
And then really the, the rest of the Old Testament is filled with all kinds of stories uh, about really how, how that one decision uh, has created nothing but strife and pain and enmity between not only us, but uh, between us and God as well. But the good news of the Bible is that the, the, the Lord doesn't just leave us to chronicle our pains, but that he actually says, you know what, even though, even though you have, you have made this choice, and even though this is a broken situation, even, even though this is uh, something that has gone awry, that I'm, I'm still going to pursue you, and I am still going to have for myself a people, a people to whom and through whom I will reveal myself. And it's all, it's all sort of cryptic in the Old Testament, right? We read books like Isaiah and we're kind of like, what is he talking about? There's all, there's all kinds of sort of visions and uh, allusions to this, this coming king who would bring all people underneath his reign and rule again. And, and ultimately what we see is that all of those are speaking about a man named Jesus. And so then when Jesus comes, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And what, and what happens is that um, really this, this life that we were supposed to live, which was a life sort of submitted to the gracious reign and rule of God, we, we obviously could not accomplish. That's what all of this chronicles, um, whether biblical or even just regular history, you can sort of see that verified, Right? But then what happens is that Jesus comes and he lives that perfect life. He lives a life in perfect submission to the Father to the degree that in the Garden of Gethsemane, when, when Jesus is approaching his death, he actually asks God, is there any way that I can get out of this? God says no and he obeys and he actually bears the weight of the cross and the full wrath of God towards us for our sins. And then in that moment, there's this, there's this beautiful exchange that happens that, that essentially he makes available his righteousness. Right, so, so what Jesus has earned by his good work, his good credit, his good favor in the eyes of the Lord, he then makes available to the common sinner. Right, and that's where we get texts like in Romans and, and all throughout the New Testament that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us in order that we might be reconciled to God. And so, so what happens when Jesus comes is it's not so much just about sort of this great story, but it's the reality that's being accomplished in and through his life, which is that we, through Jesus, can be restored to our original purpose. Like that, that we've been granted access back into the good graces of the Father, not by our good works, but because of Jesus's good works. That as Ephesians 2 would say, that it's by grace through faith that we've been saved, not of works, so that none can boast. And so where we find ourselves now in, in the, the story, when we're reading here in Revelation, this is, this is um, the Bible's sort of way of saying, look, th this is where all of this is headed. Like, so the whole creation thing, all of the, the pain and suffering that, that we see and experience on a day-to-day -day basis, and that we can look back into history to verify that all of that is moving towards a greater conclusion because what God decrees comes to pass. And so that's where we find ourselves in Revelation 21. Now, today's sermon is titled, The, the Colony of Heaven, and uh, that probably sounds like, a, like an interesting um, sort of word or idea, right? Colony, um, typically actually probably not the most favorable word in terms of 
the, you know, the, the storyline of history. But here's what I'm, what I'm hoping to do for us in that title. What, what we're about to read from, from Revelation 21, if, if you're a Christian in the room, like this, this is where your hope rests. Like if, if Revelation 21 is not true, then, then, then I, I, I don't really know what all of this ultimately is about. And so what, what we're hoping to do is see that this, this people of God, this, this church that, that Christ has formed through his blood, this place in which we have fellowship by the Spirit, will experience the totality of the truths that we've seen here in ever-present community with God. Like that that's, that that's the end towards which all of creation is headed. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, so, much of the, so much of the New Testament is... is filled with what we would call imperatives, right? So, so that means things that we should do, right? Like so, and we've talked about that really probably the last, I think, six weeks of this series. We've talked about, okay, the church makes disciples in obedience to Jesus. The church follows in the ways of Jesus. So we're disciplined for holiness together. The church observes sacraments because Jesus has said that we should observe them. The church, um, you know, here, there, and everywhere, we've kind of We've kind of touched on all these different things that we should do. And yet, when you, when you read the New Testament, right, whether it's be gentle to one another, be kind to one another, uh, exhort one another, love one another, serve one another, right, that all of those things are always preceded by an indicative. An indicative meaning something that has already happened or something that is already true, right? And so, Often what you will see, open, open up any, any of these letters from the New Testament, and most often what you will see at the beginning is something along these lines. You were bought with a price. You've received every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. He has secured for you salvation by his blood. You are adopted sons and daughters, co-heirs with Christ, recipients of a treasure that cannot be taken away, removed, stolen, or destroyed. And that born out of that is the imperative. And so what we, what we begin to see is that really in order for us to follow Jesus, we have to be captivated with what is already true, which is that through Jesus and through his person and through his work, he is bringing history to a conclusion that is favorable for those who are in Christ. And so this is that goal or this is that end that we read about in Revelation 21. And so I'm just going to read the first two verses and it, it reads like this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, let me just say this before we even get started. What, what I'm not trying to do in reading this text is present for you a cosmologically feasible way in which this is going to take place. Because look, uh, uh, we tend to get bogged down in, well, what is this actually going to look like, look like? And we miss the point, which is that God will make all things new. Like that that's the point that, that we're trying to, to get at here. Beyond, again, it, is, it, is the old earth going to crumble away? Is it going to burn up? Or, 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 is it, or is it just going to make all things on the earth new? Or how, you know, how, that's not what we're trying to get at. 
what we're trying to get at is, look, there is going to be a new spiritual and moral reality, right? That, that this new heaven, that this new earth that will be instituted by God himself will be something that we play a part in. Now, I'm, I'm really, really withholding at this point um, a, a Lord of the Rings reference, and so I'm going to spare you. But if you're a nerd in the room, you, you can, we'll just lock eyes and we'll have a moment um, maybe later uh, where we can talk about it. But, but really what, what's happening here is that which was broken is being remade. Isn't it? Like, like that's, what, that's what's happening here. So, so what the Lord is doing is he is restoring really our, our original intended and created purpose. Like that we would live in fellowship with God, that we would sing the praises of God, that his glory would proceed from the lips of his people, that we would be what? A people to whom and through whom he reveals himself, not in part, but in whole. That as the scriptures say that now we see as in a mirror dimly lit, but then we will see face to face. That that is what is happening here, that that is the story that you that you find yourself wrapped up in, whether, whether you're a, a Christian or not. And so I know if you're a Christian in the room, this probably all sounds incredibly weird because a lot of people have used this to mean something that it doesn't mean or to write fantasy books that are really ultimately poorly written. No comment, no further comment. Um, but, but don't, don't, because of sort of the, the details or the way that it's written, misunderstand or mis- misappropriate this information in that what we, what we really are seeing here is a cohesive story that, that what we believe as Christians, so if you're, you're, if you're not a Christian, just know this is, this is where we are, and this probably sounds to some degree crazy to you, right? Okay, so God created all things, everything's broken, but he's going to make a new heaven, new earth, and, and new Jerusalem, what is, how does that work? And we can talk about that later if you want to, but but I mean, ultimately, this is, this is what we, Christian, this is what you find yourself wrapped up in. And non-Christian, this is what we really believe we find ourselves wrapped up in. Like that this is, that this is truly like the ends of creation, not, not the ends as in the, the end, like cut at the end of the film, but like that towards which we are headed. And so here's the thing, um, what, what we're going to see eventually, hopefully, is that, that this really is good news. Like, this is really good news for the Christian. And so there's two things that should happen in that moment. Number one, we as Christians should be encouraged in our endeavor to follow Jesus more closely. And for those of you that are not Christians in the room, you should sort of begin to recognize, even though, even though you may still think we're crazy, which is totally fine, but you should begin to recognize that if we really do, if we as Christians really believe this is true, then we're, we're going to talk about it. So it's not, so it's not sort of a, it's not a, man, I just really need to get this non-Christian person to live up to my moral standards so that we can sort of have a better experience this side of heaven, but that it really is, we believe that what was infinitely and entirely wrong with us has been made right through Jesus, and that by his gift of grace that we can actually be restored into the right relationship with God, which really ultimately, whether you're, not, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian, you, all of us at some point have experienced longing for something, right? Like whether it's, whether it's money or a certain car or a certain spouse or a certain destination, a certain place to live, whatever it might be, like there's, there's things that tug at, at our heartstrings, 
right? There's things that call us sort of to them, try to woo us into uh, maybe uh, a better place, a, a more full, a more joyful experience of life. And what we would contend is that we that, that that hole that we can't fill was essentially um, the, the space that was vacated by the presence of God when we chose to, to rule our own lives. And so no matter what we try to put in there, it just never quite fits. And, and so what this story does for us is that it, it, it fills that. It tells us that that which was broken will be remade, that that which was um, marred and sinful will be made beautiful, adorned as a bride for her husband. So, but here's what I, here's what I want to do really quickly for those of us that are Christians in the room and what, what I want for us to begin to step into an understanding of. And that is that, look, the, when, when I use the word colony, what, what I mean by that is that the church is the foretaste of this kingdom, right? That the church is the place in which we begin even now in our sinful nature to live underneath the gracious reign and rule of God. Like that in in the church, we begin to experience peace with one another because we're ruled not by our own passions, but by God. That we begin to experience fellowship that is beyond, again, a certain affinity or a socioeconomic strata that that you happen to find yourself in. But it's because, look, we've been drawn together in Christ that we experience peace and fellowship, not only with one another, but with God. That this is the foretaste of that. And, and although right now on earth, like, like that's the anomaly, right? I mean, you just open up any news website and you'll see that that's the anomaly. Peace is the anomaly, right? Justice is the anomaly. Like, like fellowship is the anomaly. And yet, What we are reading here in Revelation 21 is that what is the anomaly now will become the ever-present truth for all of creation. All of it. Every every single ounce of it. And so we will experience peace to its fullest. We will experience joy to its fullest. And so when we gather together here on Sundays, what's actually happening is we're rehearsing for this day. We're rehearsing for this day. We get to taste and see that the Lord is good. We get to experience a small bit of heaven on this side. In that we sing praises to God. In that we feast at His table. In that we enjoy fellowship both with God and one another through the perfect work of Jesus. And so that's when we talk about this idea that the church is the colony of heaven. That's what I mean. Right? The, the definition for uh, colony in the, in the dictionary is this, a group of people who leave their native country, in our case, we were expelled from it, to form in a new land a settlement subject to or connected with the parent nation. And so here's the, here's the whole story that I told you at the beginning, just wrapped up in one simple phrase. We were natively joined to God. That's what we were created for, right? To be his people. But then we were banished from that land justly according to our sin. But in Christ, we have been repatriated. We've been reincorporated into this new country, this new society. And we are an outpost that one day will be taken up, consumed by the holistic reign and rule of God over all of creation. That that's, that that's what Revelation is telling us here. That, that that is the moment that is coming. That that is what all of history is headed towards converging upon is this 
moment. So, if creation is careening towards this end, towards this final goal, that the nations would praise the name of the Lord in every tongue, if, if this is our true home, if this is our, our homeland, the place to which we'll, we will return, then that changes the way we live here, doesn't it? Like, so if you're, if you're a Christian in the room and you begin to understand, number one, that your life on the scale of things is a brief mist vapor, but that the Lord has not counted you as insignificant, rather significant in Christ through His Son. And you begin to recognize also that uh, your end here is not the end here. Then our, our, our lives begin to change. And look, I'm, uh, we, we could talk all day about how that that frame of thinking, that, that beginning of understanding about what the Lord is doing and the confidence that we can have in what He is doing changes us. We could talk about how it, it, it changes the way we spend our money. It changes what jobs, what careers we take. It changes how we lead our families. It changes how we interact with Christians and non-Christians. It changes everything. And that's not necessarily what I'm trying to get us to today. I do think, though, That what the church is called to do is to gaze upon this to the extent that those decisions between come about naturally. That in our neighborhood parishes, that in this community, as we strive to live lives in light of the gospel, that we begin to recognize, look, this is a brief mist, a vapor. But what the Lord has is infinitely, infinitely better. So here's what I want to do, and I I think this will be helpful. uh, it, it was fresh on the mind because we had covenant membership class this past sun, uh, Saturday, so yesterday. Um, but I want to read to you a portion straight out of, straight out of our covenant membership uh, packet um, that kind of, I think, explains uh, one of the reasons that we have called ourselves Sojourn um, and should help us, I think, begin to try to, uh, again, understand what it is um, that we believe this story does for us this reality that frames our existence. And so it reads like this. I'm, uh, forgive me, I'm just going to read for a second. Our lives are a brief pilgrimage towards a divine destination on the other side of our final breath. To the sojourner, death no longer grips us with fear because we have come to know that death will simply carry us across the threshold of our true and eternal home. Until that day, We are reminded that we are dual citizens on earth. We are exiles sent into the kingdom of man to demonstrate and declare the reality of the kingdom of God. We are ambassadors seeking the renewal of people and culture through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thus, sojourn is not just a name, it's a way of life. And then there's this great excerpt from a book by a man named Jeremiah Burroughs. And it reads like this, quoted straight from the book. And he's talking, about, uh, he's talking about men who are at sea or men and women who are at sea in a journey. And he says this, when you are at sea, though you have not as many things as you have at home, you are not troubled at it. In fact, you are contented. Why is that? Well, it's because you're at sea. You, would, uh, you are not troubled when storms arise, though many things are different than you would have them at home. You are still comforted by the fact that you are at sea. When sailors are at sea, they don't care what clothes they have, even though they're pitched and tarred. They think of when they come home. And when they get home, they'll have their fine silk stockings and their suits and their laced bands and everything fine. 
So they are contented while they are away with the thought that it shall be different when they come home. And though they have nothing but salt meat and a little hard fare to eat, yet when they come to their houses, they shall have anything. Thus it should be with us in this world. For the truth is that we are all in this world, but as seafaring men, tossed up and down on the waves of the sea of this world, and our haven is heaven. Here we are traveling, and our home is a distant home in another world, so do not think to satisfy yourselves here. And I really believe that uh, this, is, this is what we find then that sort of corresponds to this wonderful truth um, in verse 3 of Revelation 21, and it says this, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. That for the Christian, this life here and now is a journey home. That, that, that we are coming home and that, at, that, that in our home there is a God who awaits our presence with joy and gladness because of the good work of his son Jesus. And that we will enter into his presence and that we will not, we will not only just sort of be, okay, this is, this is me over here and there's God over there, but that, that he will actually dwell with us, among us, tangibly, that we will, just like the scriptures say, that now as we, though we see as in a mirror dimly lit, then we shall see face to face face to face. So this is, this is what it means to be a Christian, is to consider your life in these terms. This is what allows Paul to walk through probably one of the most difficult lives in ministry and still come to the conclusion, one, that God is good, and two, that all things come together for good. So if if, we, if, if we're Christians in the room, what is it that we're heading home to? Beyond the presence of God, what is it that this place will look like? What will it be characterized by? And I think the next couple of verses open that world wide open to us. In verse 4, it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That this, that this is the place that we are headed to. That, that the place where every ounce of mourning will be wiped away apart from that memory which only serves to make the joy of the peace that we experience all the more wonderful and glorious in the presence of God himself. Like that, that, that is what home looks like for you and I. And look, whether, again, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian, I think we can all assent to the truth that, that this sounds like good news, if it's true. Now, uh, for those of us that um, are Christians, I think when we, when we read Revelation 21 and we begin to see that um, that God will make his dwelling place with man and that he will wipe away their tears. He will remove death. He will remove mourning. He will remove all of these things that we endure here and now. Then Romans chapter 8 for us comes alive. And so I'm going to read part of Romans chapter 8. You're welcome to turn there if you want to. Um, but I'm going to read verses 18 through 25. And this is, this is Paul writing. 
And I, I, I truly believe that what allows Paul to write these words, these comforting, wonderful, beautiful words, is that Paul's eyes are fixed on the reality of Revelation 21. They're fixed on that. He's captivated. He's enraptured with the truth of Revelation 21. And he says this, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the, reveli- for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Right? And so again, I mean, Paul writes this and it's entirely clear. He knows He knows that his life is this on a scale of this. And he knows that he is secure in Christ Jesus. And he knows that he's going to a better place. And so what he can say is, I consider these sufferings as nothing compared to the great glory that is to be revealed in us. And so listen, if you're you're a Christian in the room and and you're struggling with, with anything, if there's anything that has caused you to weep, if there's anything that has caused you to mourn, if there's anything that you are walking in right now that has caused you strife, whether relationally or economically or what any, any sphere, any area, any realm that you could consider, just know that you, along with Paul, can say, I consider those sufferings as nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. Because God is going to make his dwelling place with man. And those who have called upon the name of Christ will be saved, will be ushered into this place where there is no crying, where there is no tears, where there is no death, where there is no mourning, where there is no pain or sickness anymore for you. That is your reality. And although we look around at the world that surrounds us and we say, this is tangible, I can see this, I can feel this, this is what's my reality. The truth is that Revelation promises us that in fact, we have an entirely different reality. And that is one that will be at some point absent of all things bad and filled with all things good in Christ. That 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 is your destiny, that that is what Christ has secured on your behalf. And that is why when we read these verses that say, by grace, through faith, you have been saved, not of works. Or when we read that it says that God being rich in mercy has made us alive, that we can say those with confidence. And that's what we gather together to live in light of. This is why we have Sunday gatherings. That's why we have neighborhood parishes so that we can see that reality become more and more real to us day after day as we submit and conform to the likeness and image of Christ. Now, 
we probably have uh, one final question to, to ask ourselves, or really one final portion. Um, I purposefully left off the, the latter half of verse 5 because I want to read it now, in that some of us are probably wondering, well, you know, this is all kind of strange, and, and, and I don't know if I can really trust this. And the next, or in the latter half of the verse, it says this, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And so look, if you're a Christian in the room this morning, and you're not, you're not feeling like this is true, you're not experiencing from, maybe from an emotional perspective that this is true, look, these words are trustworthy and true. So even in those moments where we are deep in the pit of despair, deep in sadness and in mourning, look, we can mourn and it's wholly acceptable to mourn as a Christian, but not to mourn as those without hope. Because these words are trustworthy and true. These words are trustworthy and true. What God decrees comes to pass. I think I've said that every single week, but it is over and over imaged and spoken to us in the scriptures that what God decrees comes to pass. Now, you may also be asking yourself, what is it that gives this God the authority to proclaim these things? Well, I think the next verse is most helpful in determining that. And it says this, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. That what God decrees comes to pass. That when we read Romans chapter 8 and it says we are more than conquerors in Christ, we're not talking about your math test or that marathon, but that we're talking about this life we will conquer because of Jesus and we will arrive at the end of all days into the loving, gracious, wonderful, peaceful, just reign and rule of a perfect ruling king, King Jesus. That that is where you are headed. And so the church, the church, this people who have been bought by the blood of Jesus, who have been united in the fellowship of the spirit because of the promise of God that he would have a people to himself, that we are the colony of that reality. That right now you get to taste, you get to see, but on that day, on this day, you will experience the fullness of what it means to be underneath the gracious reign and rule of God. That's, that's what you're headed to. And if you're not a believer in, this, in the room this morning, this is what we invite you to. The, the comfort, the security, the hope of that reality that has been secured for us, not, not by adhering to a rigid moral standard, but by calling upon the name of Christ for salvation because the gospel is God's power unto salvation for all who would believe. Let's pray.